Bibles, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 12. Jeremiah, chapter number 12. I don't think I've ever done or ever said what I'm about to say, and that's this, warning. This message could be hazardous to your happiness. (laughs) But it could be helpful to your health. And I hope you'll bear with me because the introduction is going to be Uh, quite a bit longer than usual. I have only three points that I'm going to get to eventually, uh, but I want to lay a good foundation, and I feel necessary to go through a rather lengthy introduction. So I'll try not to be like the one preacher I heard about, and uh, he was preaching, he just kept preaching and going on longer than uh, usual until finally one of his men, one of the good faithful men in the church, got up and just walked out. The preacher just kept preaching. And so after a while, this fellow comes back in and sits down, listens to the rest of the message. And after the service, the pastor went up to him and said, where where did you go? What happened to you? He said, I went to get a haircut. And the pastor said, well, why didn't you get a haircut before the service? He said, I didn't need one then. So... uh, so I'll 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 try not to I'll try not to keep you here that long. Our text Jeremiah twelve verse five says, "If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, how then canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee." Then how will thou do in the swelling of Jordan? I'm going to preach to you this morning about ready for the worst. You know, as a pastor, I I, I want to be a help and a blessing to people, and I really mean that. I, I want to lift people up rather than put them down or rather than let them down and I'd rather be positive than I would be negative, but at the same time, I realize that I have an obligation to say what people need to hear instead of what they want to hear. And I'd love to be able to stand here this morning and tell you that uh, that things are going to get better, and that your life is going to get easier, but I don't know that. The truth is, I have reason to believe that just the opposite is true. In in light of the fact that you know we hear all of this depressing news all week long, and 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 I know you're just sick and tired of that, and so I don't take any delight in talking about things like that on Sunday, uh, knowing that you're troubled by your troubles. It's tempting for me to just stick my head in the sand to pretend like everything is all right, but the fact is, it isn't all right. And whenever you read the headlines, it's easy to see that we've got problems. We are all in trouble. We live in a fallen world, and we're all in trouble in numerous different ways. That's not what we want to hear. I don't want to hear that. You don't enjoy listening to that. 
We all want life to be better than what it is. We want all sunshine and no rain, all pleasure and no pain, all, you know, no loss and all gain. That's what we prefer, but that's not the way it is. And pretending that all is well doesn't make it okay. You know, we can just pretend like, well, it's all going to be okay, and, uh, uh, but it's not. And this text this morning is a reminder of the fact that, that we need to consider the context. And that's why I want to take longer than usual in introducing the message. The book of Jeremiah basically is describing the death of a nation. Think about that, the death of a nation. Not just any nation, but these are God's people. This is God's chosen nation, His beloved. And here we see a description of the death of Judah that constituted Israel at that time, the two southern tribes of Israel. And, of course, the northern tribes have already now been long gone, so to speak. And it's speaking about the last days of Judah. And when we come to chapter number 11, this is about 21 years after the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry. The good king, Josiah, has died, and now everything is going downhill. Babylon has become a world power, and Judah is about to be taken into captivity. The sinfulness of the nation was so bad. I want you to get this now. The sinfulness of the nation, God's people, was so bad that the Lord told Jeremiah to stop praying for these people. That's chapter 11, verse 16, if you don't believe it. Imagine that. Don't even pray for them. And uh, you can well imagine how, how fearful and how confused Jeremiah might be. So we come to chapter number 12, and we find it's divided up basically in two parts. The first four verses has to do with Jeremiah's confusion and his complaint. Beginning in verse 5 down through verse 12, it talks about God's counsel and God's concern for the people. But in the first section, Jeremiah is complaining about the situation. He's wondering, why is it that the wicked prosper and my people, your people, are suffering? And it's as though Jeremiah is basically demanding an answer from God. So, Beginning there in verse number 5, Jeremiah gets an explanation. I wish I had time to read all of those verses, but I don't. But God is giving him the explanation for what's going on, and it was not what Jeremiah was hoping for. He was hoping things were going to get better, but God did exactly the opposite of that. Instead of saying, cheer up, you know, I, I'm going to improve the situation. I'm going to remove your problem. I'm going to relieve your suffering. I'm going to make your lives more pleasurable. Instead of doing that, God says it's going to get worse. Let me tell you, although our circumstances are different, we are in a similar situation Millions are depressed and discouraged by their difficulties and they, and they feel justified in their feelings because in their mind they have a good reason and a right to mourn their misery. And I have to admit, really it seems logical and, and, and I understand because sometimes I felt exactly the same way. 
But as sensible as it might seem to us, it's not acceptable to God. God expects better from us. And instead of saying what Jeremiah wanted to hear, God basically said, I paraphrase, shut up, get up, keep going. Now that might seem like it was uncaring and cruel to some people, but it wasn't. You see, God knows the best way to deal with our difficulties, and that's exactly what he did. Others might have said that they understood how Jeremiah felt. They might have tried to cheer him up. Somebody might have said, you know, you poor thing, and I feel, you know, so sorry for you. Uh, That's, you know, we would expect that from people that we love. Somebody else you know, might have said, well, look, you've got a good reason to slacken your, your pace and, or just to quit altogether. You know, just throw in the towel, just give up. It's not going to do any good. But God is urging him to keep going. Some positive thinker might have come along and said, oh, don't worry about it. This too shall pass. Things are going to improve. You just have to keep a positive attitude. But God said, basically, you ain't seen nothing yet. Things are about to get a whole lot worse. And I mention all of that to remind you that God doesn't always say what we want to hear. He's too wise for that. Instead, God says what we need to hear, even though it's not pleasant and it's not popular. And beginning in verse 7, God explained what he was doing and why he was doing it. It was because of their sin against God that God literally says that he has abandoned, he has forsaken his people. He's allowed them to be defeated and dominated by their enemies. So they couldn't blame God. It was because of their own sinfulness that they're in that condition. And we look at the world that we live in and wonder, why does it have to be like this? It's because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not God's fault. We've made the mess that we see today. So going back to our text and I couldn't hardly read that without, uh, without thinking about what Kathy was thinking because this is a very familiar verse to Kathy because she was with me in Myrtle, Mississippi. And, and a fellow by the name of Estes Perkle preached during that time. Uh, if I remember right, he did not preach this message. But the message, and this is not his message. I don't even remember exactly what he preached except he preached from this verse. And if the footmen tire you, you know, what will the horsemen do? It becomes so popular across America that a movie was actually made from that. We showed it in our church many years ago. And uh, I can't remember all of the details of it, but the, the point is that it's a message that America needs to hear today more than ever. This chapter begins with Jeremiah complaining to God about the problems of Israel and the prosperity of the enemies. And I can't think of that without being amazed that uh, that God allows us to complain so much. 
Isn't that amazing? Read through the Psalms and over and over again we find the psalmist, you know, uh, complaining to God about uh, situations that they brought upon themselves. God wasn't to be blamed, but yet God in His mercy and God who remembers that we are but flesh. He understands that. He knows how we feel. And God sometimes tolerates our complaining when we when it shouldn't even exist, and yet God, out of His great love and His long-suffering, allows it. But God has His limits. You know, it's one thing for us to reason with God. It's another thing for us to strive against God. And that's why I often say that we may mourn, but we must not murmur. It's okay to mourn. In your pain, and your suffering, and your difficulties, God understands that. But don't you dare murmur against God. That's a whole nother thing. So here the prophet makes the mistake of trying to, well, basically trying to tell God what to do. This is what you ought to do, Lord. And as a result, God is rebuking Jeremiah for his impatience. And he's telling him, look, it's going to get worse than what it is. If you can't bear up, now listen, he's saying to Jeremiah, if you can't bear up under your present circumstances, how can you expect to succeed whenever it gets worse? Now, whenever you think about the comparison between the footman and the horseman, whether, you know, whether you're thinking of warfare or whether you're thinking of a race that's immaterial, that really doesn't matter. It's obvious to see that there's a big difference between racing against somebody in a foot race and racing against a horse or, or going to war against footmen or horsemen or whatever. The one is a whole lot easier than the other. That, that's the lesson here for us. And sometimes we complain constantly about how bad it is when reality and in certain ways it has been worse. Think about it. We think, oh my, nobody's ever had it as hard as, I, as I've had it. Well, what, what about those back during the Revolutionary War? Think about the price that was paid for us to have the freedom to assemble here this morning. Think about the loss of life during the Civil War, how difficult it was for those people then. Think about how difficult it was during the Great Depression Boy, even my generation suffered the effects of that to some extent because my mom and dad went through that. They knew what it was like. That's why, you know, back then when I was a boy, you didn't waste anything. I mean, you had leftovers until there wasn't anything left over. You just kept eating whatever you had. And sometimes we think about we've got it so bad, but think about the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, the, the Great Depression, and these other times in history where people have, have had it so difficult. And the point is, you know, there comes a time that we need to stop complaining and deal with it because it is what it is. I don't want it to be this way either. I don't like it this way. I'm talking about all of our problems, the COVID and everything else, the economy and the political landscape and all. I don't like it like it is, but we've got to deal with it. Not only has it been worse, but I promise you it's going to get worse. 
And I can say that because that is exactly what the Bible says, that as Paul said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. It's not going to get better. We have it good compared to what's coming. So in light of that and for the purpose of trying to be prepared to face the future, I want you to think about three things. Number one, our present. You know, we all have our unique problems, don't we, to deal with. So good to see Carla back after illness and different ones, see them recovering and see them back in the service. Uh, you know, it's a blessing, but it's difficult for people, you know, going through those trying times. There are other people here in this auditorium, this sanctuary, that have problems that you don't even know about. And they're not the kind of people that's going to cry on your shoulder. They're not going to tell you the problems they have in their life. But believe me when I say there are people that are, that are bearing up under horrible, terrible, difficult things in their life. So we all have our problems. That's the present reality. The world is difficult and the world is dangerous. Our foes are many. Our fight is fierce and our, our fears sometimes can be absolutely overwhelming. And that's when our faith is really put to the test. It shouldn't surprise us actually. God warned us in the last days, what did he say? Perilous. That means difficult and dangerous. The last days, perilous times shall come. And according to Hebrews chapter 1, these last days are here because they began with the coming of Christ. We live in difficult and dangerous time, grievous, hard to bear. And one Greek writer used the word to describe in his words, he said it simply meant ugly, infected, dangerous wounds. So, it's going to get worse. It's bad. It's going to get worse. And as much as we want to change it, we can't. It's not our job to change the world. Somebody says, we need to save America. Look, I hope America is saved. Don't get me wrong. Thank Thank God that ought to be our prayer. God save America. I'm all for that. But it's not our job to save America. We've got more important things to do than save America. And that is that we might witness to those that are lost and win them to Christ. What difference does it make who wins the election? Or what difference does it make whether or not America continues to exist if we're all going to die and go to hell? That's no victory. And even as bad and difficult as it is, this world's a discouraging place to live because the, even the very best people are not exempt from, from problems. And it happened to Jeremiah in chapter number 20. I think I've said before that Jeremiah is my favorite Old Testament prophet. He's kind of a hero to me. I mean... Just so many things about him that, that 
is attractive to me. What a great man of God, the weeping prophet. If ever a man loved God and loved his people, it was Jeremiah. And yet, he finally reached that breaking point to where he said, I will not make mention of his name anymore. I quit. I resign. I'm giving up. I've had it. I can't go on. I can't go any further. So don't you dare ever think that you are so strong and so spiritual that it can't happen to you. Because it can. That's a danger that we all face. It's discouraging. That is the present reality in which we live. But we also need to think about our prospect. That's why I often say that for the Christian, the future always looks bright if we look far enough ahead. And I I can say that because for the Christian, the best is always yet to come. Regardless of how bad it is, it is going to get better. It's just a matter of time. But between then and now, boy, things can really get ugly. Worse than we ever imagined and quicker than we ever thought. So what then? We just went through this last year a time unlike any that we've ever faced. I never dreamed that I'd be dealing with the issues as a pastor uh, that we've had to face this last year. And now as we're facing in the coming year. I'm glad that I know that somewhere down along the road that God has a plan that is going to eliminate all of that. So whenever we think about the present, we always should do that with the prospect in view. That is thinking about the future. And that's why the Bible tells us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Consider Him. And over and over again, we're reminded to look unto the inheritance that is to come. But again, I say, between then and now, it's an ugly picture. It's going to keep getting worse, and the Bible describes it. We think about the time whenever the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. Oh, I know we're going to be gone. Yeah, as Christians, we'll be gone before he takes control, as it were. You can't even hardly imagine how bad it's going to be during the tribulation. But don't get the idea that things aren't going to get bad until the tribulation starts. We already see what is happening by way of a one-world government, a one-world church, and all. I mean, talk about rationing food. Talk about the mark of the beast. And if you read the headlines every day, you can. It's getting where now businesses, a lot of them, won't even take cash. You know, it'll be easy to see where that's going to lead. Total government control. All of that is coming. Now, my point is. That if we can't serve God now with things that... And so when things get worse than what they are. Now, the third thing has to do with our possibilities. 
because we can't control and we can't change our circumstances. If we could, we would, right? We'd, we'd come up with an automatic cure for COVID and uh, cancer and heart disease and all of those. We'd get rid of all of those things. But we can't control that. We can't change that. All we can do is choose how we will respond to our difficulties. And so whenever we think about our needs more than anything else, we need to see our need of God above everything else because our help is found in having God as our hope. Just jot down in the margin of the Bible, Jeremiah 17, verse 7 through 17. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 17. Read that when you get home. Because here is a nation suffering from the wrath of God. And God says, I have forsaken them. I mean, that's exactly what he said. I've, I've basically abandoned my own people. Verse 7, I have forsaken mine house, he says, I have left mine heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. But boy, when you read on, God left them a glimmer of hope that this is only going to be for a matter of time. It might be that you suffer in bondage for 70 long years, but after that, I've got a plan. I've scattered you among the nations and I'm going to bring you back from all nations. I've allowed Jerusalem to be trodden underfoot, but thank God there's coming a time I'll rebuild the temple, I'll rebuild the walls, I'll reestablish my people. There is hope and we need to understand the possibilities that lie ahead. And look toward the hope. If we're going to overcome the world and the flesh and the devil, we've got to quit making excuses and blaming our failures on the circumstances. The times are tough. They're not going to get any better. But there's no reason why we can't serve God right now. If we can't serve God with a cheerful spirit, you know, while we're living in the lap of luxury, what are we going to do when things get tough? If we, if we can't look, and if we can't be happy when we're driving a new car, living in a nice house, we got a refrigerator full of good food, closet stuffed with clothes, a garage full of stuff, and all of that, what are we going to do whenever a bag of gold won't buy a loaf of bread? If we can't discipline ourselves to... To live within our means now, what are we going to do when food is being rationed out? I'll tell you what people will do. They'll slit your throat. They'll shoot you in the back. They'll do anything they can. There's coming a time during that tribulation where, where the mothers will literally resort to eating the flesh of their own children. I didn't make that up. That's what God says. And if we can't witness to our family and our friends now, what are we going to do whenever the law enacts laws against us evangelizing others like it is in some parts of the world? 
I mean, will we be brave enough to witness when we know we're going to be persecuted for doing so? What's going to happen whenever they censor the churches and what the pastor can say? Oh, you know, we've got this new law now, hate speech. So you, you can't get on this subject or you can't get on that subject. What are we going to do whenever they do that? The point is, if we can't serve God now, we never will. Right now, under these conditions, is probably the best chance we'll ever have to serve God. So the question is, then, when will you start? Chances are this is going to be as good as it gets. And believe me when I say that regardless of how difficult it is, none of us are exempt from our duty to serve God. And if we don't, I can promise you it's going to get worse, not better. Listen to what God said to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, For the abundance of all things, therefore shall thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. I'm telling you what, that ought to get our attention because some folks, some Baptists today, not only quit serving God, there's a whole other bunch that quit doing so joyfully and cheerfully. And notice the qualification. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. If your heart isn't filled with joy and gladness in your service to God, you're out of the will of God. And it was so serious, God says, I'm going to turn you over to the, to the enemy. You see, God's will isn't always fun and easy. It's not always convenient. It's not always popular. But let me tell you, it's always better than not doing so. God being my helper. I was talking about some things that's on my heart that I've been wanting to, wanting to preach. And I made the comment or something similar to it that, you know, even, and by the way, it is this way in some parts of the world. The preacher is not at liberty to just get up and preach whatever he wants, even though it comes straight from the Bible. He's not allowed to do that. And you think about those early Christians, knowing that when they assemble together, that they were going to be persecuted. They, if they were caught assembling together and worshiping God, they would be burned at the stake, tarred and feathered, run out of town on a rail. What did they do? They tightened up their belts and they just kept on trucking. That's what they did. They kept going. They didn't give up. They didn't throw in the towel because it's difficult and dangerous. In the face of adversity and under the threat of their lives, they kept serving God. How dare we quit? We have no right to stop serving God. 
I understand very well how that our health can set limitations on what we're able to do for God. Don't you misunderstand me. There are people that would be here today that shouldn't be here. They're sick. They have health problems. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about those who, who could and who should who don't. You can make all the excuses in the world. I, anyway, we were talking about some things related to that, and I said, God being my helper, if they enacted a law of some sort that said, you know, if you preach next Sunday, you're going to get hauled off to jail and maybe prosecuted and executed. I made a commitment to preach years ago, and I'm telling you, if God will help me, I don't intend to quit regardless, even if it's going to cost me my life. I promise you that I'm going to be here preaching next Sunday, even if God says 30 minutes after service, I'm going to take you home to glory. I'm going to be here unless I'm too sick to be here or my wife is sick and needs me. I'm going to be here. I'm not, look, I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to set myself as an example. It scares me to death to think about what I might do. It's easy for me to stand up here and say what I want to do, but I know when the pressure's on, sometimes like Jeremiah in that one instance, sometimes we cave into it. But we all ought to have the attitude, if God will help me, regardless of how difficult and dangerous it is, I'm going to keep serving God. You see, folks, what we do always relates to our attitude toward the first and the great commandment. It always does. Our attitude about life, our actions in life, everything we do relates to that. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy mind. If we love God like we should, we certainly will, regardless of the circumstances, keep doing what God has commanded us to do because whenever our love for God is strong, Nobody's going to have to beg us to serve him. And there's no power on earth that can keep us from doing so. There are people that my wife included that want to serve God in a different way and want to be here so bad that they cry whenever they can't. How dare somebody else that is able, fit and able, that could, that won't. And I'm not saying that because I'm angry with them. I'm concerned about them. If God forsook his own people, if God warned them like he did, and he forsook them and allowed them to go into bondage, put a yoke of iron on their neck, then we better take heed when it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Whom the Lord loveth, the Lord chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son that he receives. You, we, we, we can't sin and get by with it. If you're really saved, you can't quit on God and not suffer for it. Now I know the message this morning basically has been the, a challenge to, to those of us that know the Lord. Let me tell you, if you're here this morning and and you've never been saved, let me tell you, your mind cannot imagine and words cannot explain just how bad it's going to be in your future. We've been talking about dealing with...
that's nothing compared to what you're going to have to deal with when you stand before a holy God without Christ as your Savior. Oh, please, uh, please, whatever you're here today without knowing for certain you'd go to heaven if you died. You don't have to live that way. That song that Tim sang, the old man is dead, and boy, every word of that, thinking back to what I used to be, and let me tell you, I know what I used to be. Nobody has to remind me. Don't you dare bring it up to me. It's all under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not the man that I used to be. God changed all of that whenever he saved me, and he wants to do the same thing for each and every person on earth. Would you trust him this morning? Tim and the musicians are going to come, and we're going to stand and extend to you this invitation. And if you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, would you do so? You can do so right where you're at. The best way that you know how, just from your heart, say to the Lord, Lord, I confess I'm a sinner. I believe your son died for my sins, and, 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 and I'm trusting him as my Lord and my Savior right now. Brother Kenneth can't save you. He, wants, he would if he could. I can't save you. We can't do a, a whole lot to help other than show you who can. And that's Jesus. Father, speak mainly to the heart of those that are not saved, that they'll understand the awful condition they're in this morning, that they'll put their trust in Christ and be saved. And then, Lord, for those of us who know Christ is our Savior, forgive us of the times that we murmur and complain about the hardness of the way and the difficulties of life. God, Thank you for being so long-suffering whenever we complain. I'm so sorry of the times that I've complained. Lord, I pray you'll forgive me of that, and I pray you'll just give me the strength to be able to bear up under whatever might come my way. Lord, I pray for those that are going through great difficulties that you'll be with them and help all of us to have an attitude that regardless of how bad it is, it's better than we deserve. And regardless of how bad it is, we still have that responsibility to obey your word and to glorify your name. May that be our goal as we leave this place today, for we beg it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, while we sing,